The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 2, The Paper Age, Chapter 5, Astraea Redux Without Cash. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 2, Chapter 5, Astraea Redux Without Cash. Observe, however, beyond the Atlantic, has not the new day verily dawned? Democracy, as we said, is born, storm-girt, is struggling for life and victory. A sympathetic France rejoices over the rights of man. In all saloons it is said, what a spectacle! Now too behold our Dean, our Franklin, American plenipotentiaries here in position soliciting. The sons of the Saxon Puritans with their old Saxon temper, old Hebrew culture, Sleek Silas, sleek Benjamin, here on such errand among the light children of heathenism, monarchy, sentimentalism, and the scarlet woman. A spectacle indeed, over which saloons may cackle joyous, though Kaiser Joseph, questioned on it, gave this answer most unexpected from a philosophe. Madame, the trade I live by is that of royalist. Mon métier à moi c'est d'être royaliste. So thinks light more apart too, but the wind of philosophism and force of public opinion will blow him round. Best wishes, meanwhile, are sent, clandestine privateers armed. Paul Jones shall equip his bonhomme Richard. Weapons, military stores can be smuggled over if the English do not seize them, wherein, once more, Beaumarchais dimly as the giant smuggler becomes visible, filling his own lank pocket with all. But surely, in any case, France should have a navy. For which great object were not now the time? Now, when that proud termagant of the seas has her hands full? It is true, an impoverished treasury cannot build ships. But the hint once given, which Beaumarchais says he gave, this and the other loyal seaport, chamber of commerce, will build and offer them. Goodly vessels bound into the waters, a ville de Paris, leviathan of ships. And now, when gratuitous three-deckers dance there at anchor with streamers flying, and eleutheromaniac philosophedom grows ever more clamorous, what can Amorapa do but gyrate? Squadrons cross the ocean, gauges, lees, rough Yankee generals with woollen nightcaps under their hats present arms to the far-glancing chivalry of France, and newborn democracy sees, not without amazement, despotism tempered by epigrams fight at her side. So, however, it is. King's forces and heroic volunteers, Rochambeau, Bouillet, Lametz, Lafayette, have drawn their swords in this sacred quarrel of mankind, shall draw them again elsewhere in the strangest way. Off Ushant some naval thunder is heard, in the course of which did our young prince, Duke de Chartres, hide in the hold. Or did he materially, by active heroism, contribute to the victory? Alas, by a second edition we learned that there was no victory, or that English Keppel had it. Our poor young prince gets his opera plaudits changed into mocking tees, and cannot become Grand Admiral, the source to him of woes which one may call endless. Woe also for V de Paris, the leviathan of ships, English Rodney has clutched it and led it home with the rest. So successful was his new manoeuvre of breaking the enemy's line. It seems as if, according to Louis XV, France were never to have a navy. 
Brave Safran must return from Hyder Alley in the Indian waters with small result, yet with great glory for six non-defeats, which, indeed, with such seconding as he had, one may reckon heroic. Let the old sea hero rest now, honoured of France in his native Savannes Mountains. Send smoke, not of gunpowder, but mere culinary smoke, through the old chimneys of the castle of Jales, which one day in other hand shall have other fame. Brave La Perouse shall by and by lift anchor on philanthropic voyage of discovery, for the king knows geography. But alas, also, this will not prosper. The brave navigator goes and returns not. The seekers search far seas for him in vain. He has vanished, trackless, into blue immensity, and only some mournful, mysterious shadow of him hovers long in all heads and hearts. Neither, while the war yet lasts, will Gibraltar surrender. Not though Creon, Association, with the ablest projectors extant, are there, and Prince Condé and Prince d'Artois have hastened to help. Wondrous leather-roofed floating batteries set afloat by French-Spanish Pacta Famaia gave gallant summons, to which nevertheless Gibraltar answers plutonically with mere torrents of red-hot iron, as if stone calpe had become a throat of the pit, and utters such a dooms-blast of a no as all men must credit. And so, with this loud explosion, the noise of war has ceased. An age of benevolence may hope forever. Our noble volunteers of freedom have returned to be her missionaries. Lafayette, as the matchless of his time, glitters in the Versailles Oeil de Boeuf, has his bust set up in the Paris Hotel de Ville. Democracy stands inexpugnable, immeasurable, in her new world, has even a foot lifted towards the old, and our French finances, little strengthened by such work, are in no healthy way. What to do with the finances? This, indeed, is the great question. A small but most black weather symptom which no radiance of universal hope can cover. We saw Turgo cast forth from the controllership with shrieks for want of a Fortunatus's purse. As little could Monsieur de Cluny manage the duty, or indeed do anything but consume his wages, attain a place in history where, as an ineffectual shadow, thou beholdest him still lingering, and let the duty manage itself. Did Genevese Necker possess such a purse, then? He possessed banker's skill, banker's honesty, credit of all kinds, for he had written academic prize essays, struggled for India companies, given dinner to philosophy, and realised a fortune in twenty years. He possessed further a taciturnity and solemnity of depth, or else of dullness, how singular for Saladon Gibbon, false swain as he had proved, whose father, keeping most probably his own gig, would not hear of such a union, to find now his forsaken demoiselle Suchot sitting in the high places of the world as minister's madame, and Necker not jealous. A new young demoiselle, one day to be famed as a madame and de stay, was romping about the knees of the decline and fall. The Lady Necker founds hospitals, gives solemn philosoph dinner parties to cheer her exhausted controller-general. Strange things have happened. By clamour of philosophism, management of Marquis de Pezet, and poverty constraining even kings. And so Necker, Atlas-like, sustains the burden of the finances for five years long? 
without wages, for he refused such, cheered only by public opinion and the ministering of his noble wife. With many thoughts in him, it is hoped, which, however, he is shy of uttering. His Contes Rendus, published by the royal permission, fresh sign of a new era, shows wonders, which what but the genius of some Atlas Necker can prevent from becoming portents. In Necker's head, too, there is a whole Pacific French Revolution of its kind, and in that taciturn dull depth, or deep dullness, ambition enough. Meanwhile, alas, his Fortunatus's purse turns out to be little other than the old Vectigal of parsimony. Nay, he too has to produce his schemes of taxing, clergy, noblesse to be taxed, provincial assemblies and the rest, like a mere turgot. The expiring Monsieur de Maurepas must gyrate one other time. Let Necker also depart, not unlamented. Great in a private station, Necker looks on from the distance, abiding his time. Eighty thousand copies of his new book, which he calls Administration des Finances, will be sold in a few days. He is gone, but shall return, and that more than once, borne by a whole shouting nation. Singular Controller-General of the Finances, once clerk in Telusson's bank. End of Book Two, Chapter Five